Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. How are we this morning, this wet bank holiday Sunday morning? Um, it's a privilege, as always, to be sharing with you guys this morning. And there's a verse that's been on my heart recently. Um, it's from Psalm 34 and verse 18. And it says, The righteous person will face many troubles, but the Lord delivers them each time. The righteous person may face many troubles, but the Lord delivers them each time. And so this morning I want to talk simply about battles and breakthrough and how when we are waiting for the God of breakthrough to come in and do what only he can do, um, that he gives us the weapon of worship, that we can use worship as our weapon as we wait to see what God can do. And so this image of a breakthrough, um, David describes in 2 Samuel 5.20, he's defeated his enemies. And it says, so David went to Baal-perazim, and he defeated them there, and said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water. So he named that place Baal-perazim, master of breakthroughs. And so I wonder why any of us in, in the room might need a breakthrough this morning. Perhaps there is a battle that you're facing. It could be a battle with your mind, maybe over anxiety, maybe addiction. It could be a battle over your health, your physical health, a particular illness or injury, a long-term condition. It could be a battle over a relationship, a friendship, a marriage. It could be a battle over your identity many other things, but whatever the battle might be, whatever the trouble might be that you face, I want us to remind ourselves that we worship the God of breakthrough and to encourage us to keep on worshipping until the breakthrough happens. And so I've brought with me today, I don't know where we got this from, but a sword that as we, we pick it up, sometimes we need a physical reminder to use worship as our weapon, to use the word of the Lord day in and day out until we see that breakthrough happen. And so this morning, I want us to look at the story of Paul and Silas in prison as our text. And I've asked my friends Max and Lee to come up and read that. So we're going to be in Acts 16, verses 16 to 40. Thank you, guys. Uh, okay, it works. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought, them into the no, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the orders, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas will be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officer, They beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us so quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for the power of your alive and active word. We thank you for what it reveals about you and what it teaches us about ourselves. We thank you that as we approach you on the 27th of August, 2023, you are the very same God that we read about in this passage. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. So I love this story, and it's, it's a dramatic story. It's full of challenge and truth. And so I want us to think about what it might teach us for worship to be our weapon in the tough times. And I want to suggest five simple things to us this morning. And the first challenge is to sing when you're winning. To sing when you're winning. Verse 23 says, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And just for a bit of context, when I was reading that, Um, and reading some commentaries, it's likely that this inner cell was a solitary confinement, that their shoulders were on the ground, and actually their feet were fastened against the wall, so they were essentially upside down, just to picture the scene. And then it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And so when I read those verses, something doesn't immediately add up. As our American friends would say, the math ain't mathing. How could Paul and Silas, in that context, be in a place where, at midnight, having been stripped and beaten with rods, hanging upside down and in excruciating pain, they were able to make the decision to sing songs of praise to God? 
How could they have made a choice in that moment to worship God rather than to focus on their circumstances? And Luke doesn't tell us, but I suspect that the only way that singing would have been their first response in that situation at midnight is because they'd learned the art of singing when they were winning, when all was going well. I suspect that if Paul and Silas were not in the habit of praising God in the good times, they certainly would not have started there in the darkness of the prison at midnight. And so I think there is a challenge for all of us to be people of praise throughout our whole lives, to practice the art of thanksgiving to God in the good times and on the very ordinary days. Otherwise, when we find ourselves in the dark times, we will not have the ability to sing. And so it's important for us to get together and to learn to sing and worship God and declare who he is off pressure and also where we can draw strength from others. You know, when we come into this building on a Sunday morning, so much of our time together is spent in song worship, isn't it? And I think this is a huge part of why that's so important. We come into this room from many nations and generations and backgrounds, and we lift up our voices as one, and we offer our praise and worship and thanksgiving to God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And as we do that together, we lay a foundation of praise for our souls, and we magnify God in our lives, and we get to draw on each other's strength to do that. And that's so important to carry us through the battle. And if we can do this day in and day out and week in and week out, then singing in the battle will become our natural and reasonable response. So we have to learn to sing when we're winning. Secondly, we sing because God is working through the battle. God is always at work in our struggles. But he's not just working for us. He is also working for those around us. And he is working out his purposes. That's why it's important that we keep on singing. Again, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You know, I think this might have been the last thing that anyone expected to hear from the inner cell of that prison at midnight. It might even have irritated some of their fellow prisoners. And when we're in those tough moments, people aren't perhaps expecting to hear us declare that God is good, that God is faithful, perhaps not expecting our declaration to look so different than our circumstances. But we continue to worship because we see with eyes of faith and also because we draw on our understanding of who God is and what he has done. I'm reminded of a line from an Elevation song that says, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And that's what it looks like for us to pick up worship as our weapon. And it's so important for us to remember that those around us are watching to see what difference it makes to have faith in our struggles. Because if we only sing when we're winning, well, that doesn't really require any faith at all, does it? Just go to your average football match and you will see that. <laughs> but to sing in the prison, in the dark moments, so that your voice echoes off the prison walls, that shows that worship truly has become your weapon. And Paul and Silas's singing at midnight was an incredible way for them to demonstrate to everyone around them their hope in Jesus. 
Many commentators believed that they were probably singing from the Psalms, the great songbook of Scripture. And we started this year with the theme of Arise and Shine. I think this is what it looks like for our light to shine in the darkness, that people are listening to what we are saying, what we are singing, what we are declaring. And when we sing through the battle, even salvation can come. After the the chains of everyone have come loose and the earthquake has happened. We read in verse 29 that the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. The jailer and his entire household were saved and baptized as a result of Paul and Silas's singing. Isn't that amazing? He knew that they were people of faith because of their worship in that moment. And I think we can sometimes miss the rest of the work that God is doing in our battle, in the middle of our battle. But of course, as worshipers, we offer him our whole lives for his purpose. And we know that his desire is that none should perish. So salvation can come when we sing in the battle because we point people to Jesus. And many times when I've found myself in a, a battle situation, I've felt the Lord very gently but very clearly remind me, Phoebes, it's not all about you. And even though I want to be outraged about that, <laughs> I know that it's true. The problem, I don't know if you're like me, but the problem I find is that I can get so caught up in, in my pain and in my experience and my challenges. But all that that does is it means I can get inside my own head and start magnifying myself and my problems. But when we take up worship as our weapon, we can sing with the psalmist, come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And as we do that, we shift the focus of our minds, and then we start to see that God is, in fact, always working. The jailer's salvation and baptism, I think that is an incredible and unexpected testimony to come out of this time of darkness in Paul and Silas's life. And I think we, too, can see testimonies like that in our battles the way that we respond in the battle can point people to Jesus. Let's never lose sight of that. It's not for us to know how God is going to use our worship. We just need to be assured that he will indeed use it. God is always working so we can keep on singing. Thirdly, sing because God is with you in the battle. God is with us. God is with us. And I've said it twice because it's so easy for us to just say it and not let the truth of it sink in. This has got to be one of the most incredible and profound things about our faith, that God didn't choose to love us from a distance, that he put flesh and bones on and came to live on this earth. Emmanuel, God with us, and left his Holy Spirit to be with us 24-7. God chooses to be with us. And although it might sound obvious to say, you cannot be with someone from a distance. I've got a very simple mind. I you know, think about, okay, what does it mean for God to be with me? And so I kind of needed to pin it on a lived reality of when I'm there for someone who needs me. And I thought about um, when, we, when I take the kids to school, there's one main road that we have to cross. And my daughter in particular can get a bit nervous about it. 
but I'm with them when we cross the road. So what that doesn't mean is that I'm sitting in the lounge watching them on some CCTV and then just saying, you know, checking the road and saying, yep, it's fine to cross now. No, I'm, I'm right there with them. I'm holding one of their hands. If I think one of them isn't going to make it, I will pick them up and carry them across. We step off that curb together. We cross the road together and we get to the other side together. That's what it means for me to be with them in that moment. And so when we think about God with us, this is not God watching us on some celestial CCTV and just sending us obscure messages. Wherever you find yourself, he is with you. However one wonderful, however dark, however ordinary, he is with you. Just like that picture of me stepping off the curb with the kids, he is right there with us. In Philippians 4, 5, Paul writes that the Lord is near. Incredible, four incredible words. And with worship as our weapon, we can sing with the psalmist from Psalm 34 again, but verse 17, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. What incredible words of comfort that he draws close. If you've ever had someone draw close to you in brokenheartedness, maybe they've put their arm around you, they've offered you a shoulder to cry on. The Lord is close. And it goes beyond the comfort that a friend can offer us because God demonstrates his nearness also by meeting our needs right where we are in our battles. And we see this really beautifully again in this passage. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I love that bit of the story because Paul and Silas still had a very clear need. Yes, their chains were off, but they'd been severely injured. They'd been flogged. We know that there was no limit on the number of floggings that they could have in Roman law. So some people might not have survived what they'd just been through. They hadn't eaten. They had open wounds. They had very clear physical needs. And God demonstrated that he was with them by meeting their needs in real time, right where they were. And he used the most unlikely source, the jailer. This jailer that was tasked with keeping them as secure as possible is now the one who invites them into his home, who tends to their wounds, and who makes sure that they have a meal. And I think it's incredible and encouraging that God can use any means to meet our needs in the battle. The the, the transformation from being severely stripped and beaten and flogged to being nourished and healed and restored in the space of less than 24 hours is amazing. And yes, there was still more to do. They weren't fully free until the next day, but because God was with them, he was able to meet them right where they were. The psalmist sings in Psalm 9, verses 9 to 10, that the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never abandoned those who seek you. So what do we tell ourselves in the middle of those moments when we feel hard-pressed on every side? We remind ourselves that we are not crushed. We remember that God is the God who restores our soul, that as the psalmist sings here, he is our refuge, he is our safe place, and that he will never abandon us. He is always with us wherever we are, and that he can meet any need that we have right in the middle of those battles. So we can sing because God truly is with us in the battle. Fourthly, we sing because we worship the God of immeasurably more. 
The God that we are talking about is victorious over everything. He is so powerful and we never know when or how he is going to break in and give us a breakthrough, but we know that he is surely able to do it. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So dramatic, this suddenly moment, the foundations of the prison, everyone's chains falling off. The most secure setting in that prison, everything was undone in an instant because that is what God is capable of doing. And we never know when that moment will be, when he will come in and bring breakthrough, maybe as in this story at the midnight hour, but we know that he is more than able to do it. And all we can do is keep on worshipping. There is another story that I love in scripture, which is the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're introduced to Hannah by being told that she cannot have children. And that every year, Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, and his other wife, Penina, would go to Shiloh to worship. We are told that year upon year, through her tears, through her, lo- through her longing, through her anxiety, Hannah kept on worshipping. Even though at times her song was one of lament, she kept on worshipping and she did not give up. And as I read that story, I picture the scene around them. I imagine that Penina was probably always pregnant or bringing yet another child, and that with every passing year, she had more children and Hannah felt more and more empty. I imagine the comments that people might have made and the questions they might have wondered about whether there was some deep secret sin in Hannah's life that would prevent God from giving her children, particularly in this context where a woman's primary role was to give offspring to her husband. And in 1 Samuel 1.16, Hannah is muttering some prayers on her own in the temple when Eli the priest hears, and she says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she has said, I have asked for him from the Lord. She kept on worshipping. She did not give up. And sure enough, the time came. God broke in and did what only he could do. And Hannah was no longer barren. And she didn't just have any son. That first son that she had went on to be the prophet that anointed the first two kings of Israel. And God showed himself to be the God of immeasurably more to Hannah, who went on to have three sons and two daughters. And this is the power of what God can do. And God showed himself to be the God of immeasurably more in so many ways in this encounter for Paul and Silas, the dramatic breakthrough. But I love the last few verses. From verse 35, it says, When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. 
But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort them out, escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. I can't read those verses without smiling because it's such a dramatic turn of events. Paul and Silas's chains falling off was not the end of the story. There was more breakthrough to come because not only were their wounds tended to in the midnight hour, not only were they granted release the next day, but they were eventually publicly escorted out of the city by some now quivering chief magistrates who the day before had ordered them a punishment that could have killed them. But now the tables have turned and it's the magistrates that are appealing with them, please leave our city and leave in peace. What a change that was. And so often we can, we can limit our understanding of how God can bring breakthrough because of our understanding of him. The ways that God can break into our situations are immeasurable. And he doesn't just shake off our chains. He can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I wanted to share a, a personal story about a period of a battle that I had in my life some years ago. And I think part of the reason why the story of Hannah resonates with me is, is that for me also, it was a battle with infertility. Now, unlike Hannah, fortunately, there was no sister wife to tease me and taunt me as we read about for her. But, but there was a condition that I'd known about from my um, late teens, really early 20s. And so there was a period of time in our, in our life and in our marriage for about three or four years of just waiting and not knowing whether at all we would be able to have children. And what that felt like for me in particular was a very dark and a secret place. And I think sometimes there can be a shame associated with these things. That's certainly what I felt because I felt my body wasn't doing the thing it was supposed to do. And I didn't know why God hadn't yet given me the thing that seemed that everybody else was able to get so easily. And so it was a dark place and there were tears and there was disappointment and there were several negative pregnancy tests. And these were some of the hardest moments to sing and to worship. And some of the hardest years to, to stand on this stage as part of the worship team with a song um, of praise on my lips and a microphone in my hand. But if I'm really honest, feelings of hurt and resentment and disappointment in my heart. And this was the season, of course, where it felt that every single friend of mine was falling pregnant just by sneezing, that there was yet another baby shower to attend, that there was the pain of holding another friend's newborn and being told it suited me, or of someone very well-meaning informing me of what a great job my husband was doing in the children's work across the road. And part of the reason why I detail all of that is because sometimes I think when we're in the middle of the battle, we don't have the language for it. And also, I think the enemy wants to isolate us in our struggles and make us feel like we're the only one that's ever felt that way. So I wanted to very clearly say that if anybody has experienced that, is experiencing that, or anything like it, you are not alone. You're not alone. But just as Paul and Silas had one another, 
to spur them on in the prison to keep on singing. So God gave us four or five wonderful friends around us who kept praying, even when we'd given up, to be honest, that kept on praying and encouraging us not just to keep turning up, but to keep on serving the Lord and reminding us that he was just as good, even though we didn't know how this was going to turn out, as he had been before and he would be, because God is good. And sure enough, things did change for us. There was, there was a positive pregnancy test, 22nd of June, 2016, about two minutes past five in the morning. But that wasn't, well, it's the best time to do it. That, that wasn't the end of the story. A few weeks later, we were in the sonographer's office and um, she lowered her voice and I was a bit concerned. And She said very quietly, there are two babies in there. They both look absolutely fine. And she turned the monitor around, and I just remember seeing these two little spines and thinking, because I'd stopped believing, to be honest, I'd stopped believing that God could do it. And it was the friends, the prayers of friends that were carrying us through. And then, of course, we had another child two years later. Three children in two years, it was exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could have asked or imagined. And if he can do it for me, he can surely do it for you. And even as I stand here, I just want to say as well, you know, you might be thinking, well, I saw you wrestling with the three of them last week and you didn't look too full of the joy of the Lord. <laughs> so I just, well, I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not. But, you know, even in those challenging moments, it doesn't take much to remind myself of the darkness of, the, of that season of those four years and how incredible it is that what's now my lived reality was something I wouldn't have dared to even picture seven or eight years ago. And yet the thing is that it doesn't always happen that way. And even as I stand here, I know that for some, there was never a positive pregnancy test or that the test was positive, but they never got to hold the baby. That sometimes illnesses and diseases still occur and treatments fail. That sometimes despite counseling and prayer, the marriage still breaks down. Sometimes our mental health still gets worse. Yes, we know this world is not as it should be. And as believers, we live in this tension, don't we, between having the faith, hope, and confident expectation that God is all-powerful and he can indeed take us from barrenness to twins and recognizing that because his ways are not our ways, and because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, it doesn't always happen that way. Yet, as worshippers, we declare and we believe that he is still good, because he cannot be anything other than good, and that he is still sovereign. So what about when the breakthrough doesn't happen in the way that we expected? How then can we keep on singing? This brings me to my final and favorite point, which is that we sing because through Christ, we have overwhelming victory. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, says Paul, despite all these things, despite trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitution, danger, threats of death, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And he goes on to say, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. 
neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed nothing, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So what does this mean for how it looks for us to sing as overwhelming victors even when life doesn't look victorious? Well, Paul writes that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, the two key words. And he reminds us earlier in this passage that God did not leave anything on the table when it came to us. In verse 32, God did not even spare his own son. Therefore, will he not also graciously give us all things? It does not mean that he no longer loves us if we face trouble. We simply cannot be separated from his love. And in the battles we face, we have the opportunity to take hold of that truth and cling to it as though our lives depended on it. And if we do, if we do, then we can pick up our sword and we can walk in a confident hope in what scripture tells us. We can walk in a confident hope that his grace will be sufficient for us, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We can walk in a confident hope that as we trust in him, we will never be put to shame, Romans 10, 11. We can walk in a confident hope that as we pour out our gifts to him, he will supply all of our needs out of the abundance of his glorious riches, Philippians 4, 19. We can walk in a confident hope that by his divine power, he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. We can walk in a confident hope that as we wait on him and as we hope in him, we will find new strength, Isaiah 40.31. We can walk in a confident hope that every single morning he has new mercies for us, Lamentations 3. 23. And going back to that verse I started with, even if every morning we wake up and we say, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord delivers them each time. Tuesday morning, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord delivers them each time. Wednesday morning, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord delivers them each time. We hold on to it and we cling to it and we will lean on his sustaining power and be transformed by his power at work in our lives. So yes, the breakthrough may not come in the way that we expect, but if we keep our confident hope in him, we will never be put to shame because in the end we are on the victorious side and we have a love from which we cannot be separated. And it's always worth us remembering that this is not the end of our story, that there is a suddenly moment coming for all of us. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15, that it will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, for when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible and we will be transformed. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality. Then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. So tell me, death, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through Jesus, the anointed one. So now, beloved ones, stand firm, stable, and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. 
Ultimately, I think the only way that Paul and Silas could find themselves singing in the prison, hanging upside down at midnight, is because they knew that whatever happened to them in this cell, they could only be harmed so much. They knew that Jesus had already completed his work on the cross and that one day they were going to be with him. Sometimes we may feel like we're facing battle after battle, but thanks be to God because he has given us the ultimate and the overwhelming victory as conquerors through Jesus. However overwhelming our situation may feel, the truth is that we have an ultimate and overwhelming victory. And so we can sing in the battle when we know that we are on the winning side, that whatever we go through in this life, we too have a suddenly moment coming, that we will be transformed, that we will look into the face of the Savior who gave everything for us, and every single earthly trouble and every single earthly battle will fade away into nothing. And with our hearts set on that truth, we can surely keep on singing. So what does it mean for worship to be our weapon in the battle? Well, we sing when we're winning. We lay the foundation in the good times and the ordinary times of extolling the Lord so that we can sing in the prison at midnight. We sing because God is working through the battle. He is always at work, not just for us, us, but he is working out his purposes for those around us. Let's not lose sight of what God is doing as we shine his light in dark places. We sing because God is with us in the battle, right where we are. He is not loving us from a distance and that he meets our needs in real time, right where we are. We sing because we know that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And as we live in that tension between the now and the not yet, we sing knowing that through Christ we have the overwhelming victory. So I want us to stand together if we can, and we're just going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come back um, so we can respond to this. In Exodus 15:2, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So just as we're here this morning and we're standing, I want to pray for those who need a breakthrough. And whatever your battle might be, the Lord knows. But if, if you need a breakthrough this morning, I'm just wondering if you could raise a hand right where you are. And we are a body of believers. We were reminded last week, weren't we, that the prayers of all of us are powerful and effective. So if someone near you has got their hand raised, I wonder if you would stretch out a hand and start praying prayers of victory over them as we collectively raise our voices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this wonderful story. God, we thank you for the reminder that you are always at work. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who have raised their hands, who are in the middle of the battle, waiting for breakthrough, Lord, I pray that they would see your hand at work, even this day, even this week, Lord God, that you would be turning situations around, that you are the same God of the sudden violent earthquake that can break in at the midnight hour. Lord, would you break into these situations that feel overwhelming? Lord, I pray that people would experience your victory in their lives, Lord, and that they would hold fast, that we would all hold fast to our hope in you, knowing that whatever comes our way in life, Lord, you are the one who has the final say, and that through Jesus, 
our victory is secure. So Lord, would you come and do what only you can do amongst us this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we put our confident hope in you once again. Amen.